Hello and welcome to another VW Podcast. This is Office Hours, and today we're covering Chapter 8 of Venture Deals. Chapter 8 is Convertible Debt. Aaron, did you read? Uh, just finished reading. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just now. I was wondering why you were flipping pages yeah. as we walked into this. Well, good. you know, I take the same approach that I took in uh, undergrad, which is <laughs> you know, right before class. Appreciate your honesty, but that's when the information is the freshest. Right. Now, convertible debt, something we deal with on a daily basis. Curious, just a high-level perspective, Aaron, how did you feel the author viewpoint or thoughts were about convertible debt relative to your own or maybe our own. I think you and I share a lot of the same viewpoints on it. Yeah, no, I, I think they do a really good job of walking you through the sort of the pitfalls that uh, you can run into with convertible debt. I always view convertible debt as, you know, a good tool if used responsibly. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, if you're an early stage company, you go raise money, but you don't want to have the valuation conversation because maybe you haven't generated any revenue yet. Yeah, if you're gonna, you know, go raise a little bit of money, knowing that in six months when you are generating a little revenue, you're gonna go out and raise a raise a price round. Then sure, use convertible debt. Um, you know, I, I think you just need to make sure that you're using it reasonably. What I thought was interesting is the way they talked about convertible debt, how it's used now versus how it was used a while back. I mean, remember, they wrote yeah. this book, I think initially in 2011, right? Yeah. You know, and, and I got out of law school in 2008. You got out in 2012. 12. And when they wrote this book in 2011, they had already been in the space for five to 10 years previous to that. Right. So when they talk about convertible debt used to be only used for bridge financing, that's interesting because since we've been heavily involved in venture, convertible debt, debt has been the preferred tool for raising capital for an early stage company. So I thought that was interesting. And also when they talked about the costs, right? They right. said seed, seed rounds, 500 grand, 750 grand, a million bucks used to cost 50, $75,000 in fees. And they just don't anymore. And I think that's partly because of the democratization of the docs, which were very pro. And we use a lot of those docs that are kind of shared or crowdsourced. And then also just the uh, the sophistication, the specialization of venture lawyers, right? right? You just have more and more of doing them. A lot of these deals. But convertible debt is Definitely a very valuable tool for early stage companies. And then it's also a valuable tool for bridge financing. And we see it come up in, in bridge financing situations, uh, you know, a seed to A round or an A to B round all the time. There's a lot of strategy that goes into that. I don't know if we'll get really deep into that right now because I want to focus on what they discuss, which is more just the basics of convertible debt. Now, for anyone listening out there, if you're new to convertible debt, this podcast might be a little, might move a little faster for you than you might feel comfortable with. But there are some other resources out there and they'll be in the show notes. I was asked to do a presentation on convertible debt versus early stage equity a year and a half, two years ago up at an accelerator in, uh, in, um, in Frisco or in Plano. And we videotaped that. So we have an hour long presentation where I really break down convertible debt, how it works and what the difference is between convertible debt and equity uh, from early stage financings. If convertible debt is something that you're considering for your company and you're new to this, I would highly encourage you to, to take a look at that as well as read this chapter, listen to the podcast, and then probably read the chapter again. It was only a few pages, but convertible debt really is that important. And it's not, I think equity, people generally understand what equity is, right? right. You invest some money on a piece of the company and you're going to have better terms on it. The convertible debt can get a little uh, sticky, especially some of the finer points like warrants. And also, I'm glad they talked about original issue discount, yep. which I want to talk about briefly. But anyway, let's go through the book. So they start with arguments for 
and against convertible debt. So, Aaron, let's just list off. If I say, Aaron, what are the positives? What are the pros for convertible debt? What do you say? Am I am I coming at it from an investor perspective or a let's company Let's do company first. Okay. You do company, then I'll do investor. Okay. okay. From a company perspective, the pros of convertible debt are it's cheaper um, for legal fees mm-hmm. to raise that round. Uh, it's usually going to be quicker than uh, a priced equity round. And it's it's a easier way to raise money, not in terms of it's easier with the investors, but the the harder conversations you have to have around um, preferences and, and valuation, you don't have to have with. And I think that's probably the main selling point is Aaron's third one. There's it postpones the valuation conversation and then you don't have to get in the weeds on preferences and classes of stock, which in turn makes the legal easier and simpler. So those are all pros from the company standpoint. From the investor standpoint, it is simpler. It's quicker. Especially if you're an angel investor, you're doing in twenty-five dollars or $50,000 chunks, you might not want to have a full legal review on everything. You know, We've got a couple of clients who they send us all their convertible notes and we can review those in less than an hour right? because we do it all the time. So it is easier from an investor perspective. Here's another interesting one that people don't, uh, don't talk a lot about, but it is relevant is you're actually a debt holder, right? For now, you're a debt holder, and that can be really valuable in the in the scenario where the company becomes distressed or maybe has to file for bankruptcy. And the book did touch on this a little bit when it talked about obligations or duties of the board, and we'll get to that in a sec. But I think from an investor, being a debt holder can be very valuable. Yeah, and in the early stage context, if, if we're talking about raising a convertible debt round, as a method of early stage financing rather than as you know in the bridge context if i'm an investor i want convertible debt because i can get the benefit of seeing how the company does while being a debt holder and if the company you know ends up going bankrupt probably won't get all my money back but i might get a little bit of it back and then here's another benefit for an investor is if you're a smaller investor in an early stage deal, which is typical, you have a lot of friends and family or, or angels in there, you might not have the leverage early on to negotiate for good terms, but because you're going to be a part of the next round, then you're going to get those preferred terms. Now, you know, I think we've seen in certain scenarios where maybe the lead investor of the next round will go in and negotiate terms that are more favorable for that round and say, sorry, note holders, you're just going to have to to take a, you know, a junior position or a subordinated position to our liquidation preference or whatever. Um, but I think that's rare. That definitely happens, but I agree with Aaron. The majority of the time, it's nice and clean. A note holder gets into a seed round, a seed convertible round, and then they're they're converted into a seed preferred round or maybe even an A round. Okay, so let's talk about some of the, the negatives or the consequences of convertible notes. I'll go first this time, Aaron. I'll take company side. You do okay. investor. So here's some of the negatives from the company side. One is if you do a lot of convertible note rounds, you can get a lot of dilution built up on the cap table that hasn't hit yet. We see this a lot, right? Aaron, company comes in and they've done two or three convertible note rounds over two or three years. And now they've got a million, million and a half, $2 million in notes that haven't yet converted. So they're not showing up on the cap table from an ownership perspective. So if you're the founder and you own 80% of the business and you're about to do an A round, you're gonna have up 20%. Oh yeah, remember this million, million and a half in notes is also converting in and there goes another 20, 25% because they're coming in at a discount. So you gotta be careful with that. 
The second thing that can get messy is if you do multiple note rounds, you end up with a lot of note holders. They sometimes have different caps. They have different maturity dates. They might have different interest rates if the company was cavalier in issuing those notes. And boy, does that get messy when you're trying to do that A round. Talk about running up your legal bill, right? If you have a messy or a long convertible note history, your legal bill could easily approach 2x on the uh, on the financing terms, on the financing round from what it would have been. The other thing that I don't like about convertible note rounds is from a company perspective is it sometimes puts an artificial valuation on the company. And you get a hot company and they go in and say, hey, you know what? We're going to do a convertible note round with a $10 million cap. Even though they know there's no way in hell anyone's investing at $10 million right now, the valuation might be closer to $2, $3 million, which would be typical for a seed stage company. But they are able to put people on a $10 million cap because it's just a cap, right? It's just a cap. The people will convert, the, the note holders convert into the next round. But now you've got this artificial $10 million valuation. So when you go to market to raise your next round and the investors are looking at your cap and they say, wait a minute, you were at a $10 million cap. Now you're trying to raise money at $4 million valuation or a $5 million valuation. What's wrong here, right? Why are you having a down round? Or you might go to market a $20 million valuation. You might be able to have some reason to justify that. But then the investor comes in and says, oh man, you thought your cap was going to be $10 million. I'll give you $10 million. So these consequences from the company's perspective are not enough in my mind to forego convertible notes. I really do like them for early stage financings, but there are considerations. Also, I think you have to be aware that let's just, let's say that the company does really, really well. And all of a sudden it doesn't raise a priced equity round until its valuation is, $200 $200 million, if you have, you know, a bunch of notes out there that are sitting at a $10 million cap, those are converting into, you know, a big chunk of equity at a, at a you know, really a, discounted right valuation. Um, and then also, I think, you know, it's, it's nominal, but the interest that the company has to pay. Yeah, the interest, can, you know, if you're carrying for a couple of years, the interest can accrue. Okay, so those are some consequences or some some negatives from a company perspective. What about from the investor perspective? Right? From the investor perspective, you know, it, it doesn't give you typically as much control as having equity in the company. You know, you, you don't really have voting rights. Um, you can't, you know, elect directors. You can't, you know, you just run into a lot of the um, the issues with controlling the company that you might uh, otherwise not have if you had equity. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the other one that, I mean, I think that's the main one for the investors. You really don't know what you have, right? right. And you're really losing a lot of control over that. Uh, and then the other thing I see a lot with convertible notes is because the docs are so templated, investors a lot of times forget to ask for simple things that they otherwise could get. I'm writing this in all the time to the convertible notes that we invest into, that our investors invest into. Just get a ROFO. Yeah. <laughs> Just give me a right of first offer, right. My, my, right, my preemptive right into future rounds. Because they're generally not in the template docs. Yeah. And I don't think they're in the template KISS or SAFE agreements mm-hmm. either. Okay, so, and we'll get to those. Aaron, let's talk about some of the the parts of convertible debt. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, so how about we do this? I'm going to take discount. You take valuation caps. I'll take okay. interest rate. You take conversion mechanics, all right? Okay. For those of you listening out there, I guess everyone out there is listening, so to everybody. I mean, they, they might just have it on in the background and yeah, not I mean, actually not be attention. listening. So now we're If you're not paying attention, in. this yeah, come, come on in. This is a tease. Now I'm getting into it. That wasn't very long of a tease. Man. I need to work on that. The discount is the 
percentage discount to which the investor will invest in into the next round. I don't think those. It's not never a good idea to use the word in the definition, yeah. right? As you're defining it. Yeah, I don't think that's so. Let, let me give an example. If I have a twenty percent discount, and the next round valuation is a million dollars, I get to invest at an eight hundred thousand dollar valuation. And that's oversimplification because it's really a discount to the purchase price of the next round. So if the price per share of the next round is a dollar, my convertible note is going to convert in at 80 cents. So if I invested $100,000 and I were buying into that equity round, $100,000, and it was a dollar share, $100,000, dollar share, I'd get 100,000 shares. However, if it's going to be, if I get a 20% discount, and the price per share of the next round is a dollar. My price is eighty cents, so I get my hundred thousand dollars plus interest, whatever it is. But we'll forego that for a sec. Hundred thousand dollars divided by eighty cents is going to be a hundred thousand and a quarter. So one point two five, or excuse me, one hundred twenty-five thousand shares. Right. So I just got an additional twenty-five thousand shares because I was in a convertible note with a discount. So that's how the discount works. The typical discount we see is twenty percent. Uh, the mean, we've done studies on this here in town. The mean is about 22%. So you see anywhere from 15 to 35. I, well, I see, you see 10 to 35, maybe 40. We had a client who did 40, just real aggressive, trying to raise cash real quick. And then you get clients who will do 10%. Usually I see lower discount rates in a bridge round when you know an A round is coming pretty soon. But again, the uh, the median is 20% for sure. Aaron, valuation caps? Yeah, so valuation caps, it's the, um, I guess it's, the protection for the investor in case the company does really well. Essentially, if the money provided by the, the convertible note holders ends up being the rocket fuel that the company needs to take off, this is what protects the investor uh, from converting it you know, into a tiny percentage of ownership. So basically, if you raise an equity round, the convertible note might have a term that says the valuation cap is $10 million. So if you end up raising, and like I was talking about earlier, raising around at $200 million valuation, those note holders are still converting at a $10 million cap. So their, their percentage of equity is calculated as if the company were only worth $10 million. Okay, so that's the cap. Very important term. You don't always see capped notes, right? Some notes are in, uncapped. Some of the safe and kiss agreements are also uncapped. If you're an investor, you absolutely want a cap so you don't have that runaway valuation issue that Aaron mentioned. If you're a founder or the company side, you want a high cap, but be reasonable with it for the reasons we explained before. I think I've maybe had two founders ask me about uncapped notes everything else everybody else just assumes there's going to be a cap we've never put one out i have seen them right people have come to us with uncapped notes i don't think we've put I one think out have we put, i've we've done one how did that one go over do you remember uh it was fine it was a single investor and, okay and they had already negotiated well there you go yeah it was, so it wasn't like they're going to market right. with the round right okay next point interest rate almost always six percent somewhere between six and eight it's funny you never see seven no. It's always six or eight. Yeah. Let's yeah. start doing seven. Okay. <laughs> I'm seven, for seven. Seven and a half? Let's do seven and a half. Okay. Why not? We just got some more money for our investors. Uh, usually six to eight. As Aaron mentioned, if you have a million dollars in notes and they're sitting out there, then you're going to end up, you know, after a year with an additional $80,000 in um, in equity buy-in, right? Or in, in dilution. And, so and, it can be material. Well, and then add to that the fact that the 80000 in interest converts at a discount. Right. So it ends up being a little bit more than that. Okay, so interest rate, it's on there. You know, these guys, they're not 
private equity or real estate investors, they're not looking for a huge return, but it's just typical to have some interest on there. You could, we have seen notes with really low interest. Don't put zero interest on your notes because you run into tax problems. Well, don't even go below the applicable federal rate. Yes, correct. Which is usually somewhere around two, two and yeah. a half. Yeah. But six to eight is probably fine. Okay, Aaron, why don't you give a brief overview of conversion mechanics? Because then I want to talk about the three different ways that you're going to, or three different um, events that will cause a conversion. Yeah, so the most common conversion event for convertible debt is going to be at a next equity round financing. It's going to be a priced round. Um, and that's when you're going to you know, have the discount and the you know next round conversion cap come into play. Um, typically, the next priced equity equity round has to raise a certain amount of money for the company in order to qualify as a qualified financing. And so that's usually a negotiated term as well, although I don't see a lot of back and forth on um, on those on that negotiation. So that's number one. Number two is a conversion upon sale of uh, the company or a change of control. And that's going to be a different, depending on how the note is structured, a different conversion mechanic. You might see the notes just repaid with with interest, or you might see, okay, they get 2x their original investment, or occasionally uh, you'll see a scenario where upon a change of control, the notes convert into common equity immediately prior to, and then they share in the change of control earnings or distributions. And then the third scenario is you might have conversion at maturity. Uh, if the note hits, say the note has a two-year maturity date, if you, if you hit that two-year maturity date and the company hasn't raised a price equity round that meets the um, requirements of a qualified financing, or if you haven't had a change of control, I think most of our notes are structured in a way that give the uh, note holder an option. They can either take their money plus interest or they can say, go ahead and convert me into common. All right. So you've got three different situations. And I want to give everyone some, some advice on these situations. You have next round conversion. Most typically what happens? Conversion at sale. What happens at sale of company and the conversion at maturity? A lot of the notes, a lot of the discourse out there, a lot of the template notes that you can get online, a lot of the discourse out there that covers these things on blogs don't really get into the weeds. They just assume that everyone is converting at the next round or that there's a sale of the company. And here's what's going to happen. There are some real nuances here that are very important. First of all, Aaron mentioned it, the trigger. Okay, When you convert in the next round, when does it convert? Does every single round automatically trigger conversion or is there a hurdle? We like a hurdle for the very key reason of you might need some quick cash. So let's just say you have a million dollar note round and then your trigger to convert into the next round is a million dollar equity race. Let's just say that you're in a real time crunch, right? And you are a startup and you need $100,000 to make payroll or to buy this equipment to get this piece of hardware out. You can't go to a bank and get $100,000 as a startup, all right? You probably, as a founder, you're through all your money and you can't get $100,000 in credit card debt. So what happens a lot of times, you go to one of your key investors and say, hey, lend us 100,000 bucks real quick. And I'll give you these great terms. Well, if you don't have a hurdle for the conversion trigger, then you might inadvertently give those great terms to your entire million-dollar convertible note round. And so now you're just most likely suffering tremendous dilution or giving up an you know, inordinate amount of warrants. So it's important to have a trigger, meaning 
the convertible note holders will convert into the next round once we raise at least X amount because you need that flexibility to be able to do a little distressed round and give up more than you want to without getting everyone into it. Okay, that's the first point for next round. Conversion at sale. When you sell the business, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to sell for less than the value of the notes. Or you're going to or the value of the notes would be if they converted in, or you can sell for more. Usually, you just want clear language that says, "Look, if we sell for less, if we sell for less than the the value of the notes had they converted in, then we're just going to give you your money back plus interest, which is fair to all parties." You know, people argue it's investor friendly. It's just fair, and that's another benefit of being a convertible note investor instead of uh, an equity investor because convertible notes will get paid out ahead of equity uh, investors. If you sell the company for more than the cap, then the note should convert into the cap and then they would get their pro rata share. Now, here's an interesting piece that came up with us uh, recently, Aaron, that we're still trying to work through. What happens when the investor comes in, they only want to buy 70% of the business. So it is a change of control transaction, but they're not buying all the business. And this book talked about this a little bit. It's... They, they said the potentially bad news is that if a merger is an all-stock deal, the company has to find a way to find cash to pay back the notes. This is a similar situation. This is going to be a some cash, some stock, some earnout situation. We're getting in. We're negotiating with the note holders, right? Now, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you have the right to treat the note holders as a class. Once a majority agrees to redo their notes or to agree to different terms to take some stock or whatever it is, then all the note holders are going to do that. We're doing another deal that we're exiting. You know, Aaron, that other deal we're working mm-hmm. on where our clients are exiting yeah. for not the best return, but we've got some note holders. Not everyone was on board, but we were able to get a majority of them to do it. So that those terms are really important. And then finally, conversion at maturity. Man, this gets ignored all the time, all the time, and it needs to be addressed. What happens when the notes convert? Because as the notes, as most template notes are, are written, the notes convert, you owe that money. And look, if you're two years down the road or a year and a half down the road, whatever your maturity date is, and you haven't converted your notes, most likely something is wrong and you don't have the money to pay them. Or something's great. You haven't had to raise a price equity round, in which case you should have repaid your note, your convertible investor earlier. So you want to make sure you understand what happens at maturity. The most company friendly thing is at maturity, we just convert you into the note. And if you can get that bought off, fantastic. The investor-friendly part is probably the fair way, to be honest, is at maturity, either the investor has the right to take money back or to convert at the cap. You will want to proactively negotiate their investors if you're going to get to maturity and you're not going to have the cash to pay them back to figure out an extension or convert them at a lower number. What we do a lot of times here is we say at maturity, we're going to automatically convert you, but at a much lower number, right? So we have two situations, that Aaron, as Aaron brought up. One, the company's hurting. We haven't done another round. We get to maturity. Fine, we're converts you at a much lower number, half the valuation cap. Or the second situation, we're killing it. We never had to raise more money. We get to maturity. What we should do is offer to pay you back. And then the investor can say, I'll take my money back or I'll convert it to cap. So make sure you are covering that third scenario, which is what happens at maturity because a lot of people skip that. And especially if you're signing 12-month notes, which just seems to be in vogue these days, that 12 months comes up very, very quickly. All right. Let's talk about warrants in here. You know, again, I think the warrants is a little bit of an anachronism in this context. We definitely see them all the time. I rarely see warrants being issued in the context of convertible notes. Yeah. And I feel like that's the way it used to be. 
10, 15 years ago. But warrants are basically an option to purchase additional shares at a predetermined price within a predetermined window. Yeah, it's like a stock option. It's like a stock option for investors. They can be valuable. We don't see them a lot with convertible notes these days. We definitely see them a lot with equity financing or other terms. But Mm -hmm. there's something that you need to understand. Yeah, it's not common, but it's not uncommon, if that makes sense, to see it as a kicker for um, you know major investor. You set a major investor threshold, and if you invest more than that major investor threshold, then you get warrants. Warrants can be a creative way to get the effective valuation down for a large investor into a round. We did yeah. that recently. Investor was leading a pretty large round. We wanted the round to be priced at a certain level, and this investor wasn't quite comfortable with that. But we didn't want everyone else getting in a different level. So we used warrants to incentivize that investor. And we went out to all the investors and said, hey, if you'll write a check this big, you can have these same terms. No one else was writing that check. So the first investor got it. All right. They talk about, oh, 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 let's talk about the original issue discount. So original issue discount deals with reflecting the value of the interest. This is why I'm seeing more and more notes at 12 months or less, because the argument is 12 months or less, you don't have to report original issue discount to the IRS. But as the investor's earning interest on the notes, there is an argument. And you know, this is a 100% tax question, so I'm just bringing it to your attention. We are not uh, opining one way or another. There is an argument that the original issue discount has to be reflected as original issue discount is nomenclature for the value of the interest that the note holder is accruing. There's an argument that that has to be reflected as income to the investor. And if you're an LLC, that can be particular nasty because you're sending each of those investors a K-1. So understand what the original is, uh, discount is. Make sure that you're talking to your accountants or your tax advisors about it and make sure that it's addressed. I don't want this to be a barrier to using convertible notes. People do them all the time, but you need to understand that this exists. All right. Under other terms, they talked about pro rata right, which if you're representing, if you're the investor, you definitely want to ask for your pro rata right. Aaron, if if we represent a company and they got a bunch of $10,000 investors, are we going to give those guys pro rata rights? I don't want to, no. Why not? Because it's a pain. Because every time you want to go raise money, then you have to go offer it to you know your cousin Jim and your cousin Sally and everybody that that invested $10,000 and you have to wait for them to say, yes, I want to invest or no, I don't. And then if they do want to invest, their pro rata right is 0.3% of a $2 million round. Don't do it. Don't do pro rata rights for early stage investors or for investors under a certain threshold. It just gets too messy. This is, and then they do invest. So now you have 30 people on your cap table. Yeah. And the, the the other side of that, I I have, you know, founders that will come to me and say, well, I don't want to give them a pro rata right. I have no problem with giving, you know, your big investors pro rata rights. If anything, it's great because you can go to your existing investors and if they want to put more money into the company, fantastic. Yeah. You know, realistically speaking, your biggest investors are probably going to be the first guys you go to raise to anyway. So it's not often that a company goes out and raises and their largest investors aren't aware of it. They've already been talking to them about that through investor updates or through board meetings or whatnot. So that's never a problem. But pro rata right for larger investors, the hurt, that large investor, what's called major investor or major purchaser, that threshold needs to be set on a round-by-round basis. The bigger you can get it, the better. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. We talked about this for a second. I want to bring it back up because it is important. Convertible notes are debt on the balance sheet. 
which could have an effect on your 409A or your stock option pricing. There's a lot of considerations here. Because they're debt on the balance sheet, the board of directors have a fiduciary duty to the debt holders as creditors. So in the event of a, of a distressed situation or a bankruptcy situation, that is a consideration that needs to be addressed. Again, we're not trying to scare you from using convertible notes. We see them all the time. We're very big fans of them. Just be aware that this exists. This, be something that you, this is something you should be discussing with your counsel. All right, the last point I want to talk about this for a sec is they said alternatives to convertible debt. And they mention KISS agreements, which is keep it simple, a keep it simple security and safe agreements, simple agreement for future equity. We are seeing these more and more here in, in Dallas or in Dallas and Austin, most of the, uh, you know, the markets that we're most familiar with. They came out of the West Coast. They came out of Y Combinator and 500 startups. Aaron, what are your thoughts on safe and, and KISS agreements? From the company side, they're great. Fantastic. I, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not equity in the company now. It's not debt. It is just a promise to give the investor equity at a future round. And man, if I can get an investor that agrees to that, yeah, I, I want the company to take that opportunity. Yeah, how they would be treated in the event of a bankruptcy or dissolution is really interesting. If they right. would be treated as equity or if the court would force them into some class of equity, that's an interesting legal debate. Uh, I don't think anyone... Interesting for us, maybe not interesting for anyone right. else listening. But we are seeing more and more of these. I think it's great for the companies, Aaron said. For investors who are seasoned investors, yes. they like doing it because if they're especially if they're writing a smaller check, they don't want to incur the legal. They know exactly what they're getting into. We do see a lot of sophisticated professional angel network, excuse me, angel investors using these things. As far as as a security that has broad appeal it's probably not here yet right. but i do believe it's coming yeah i feel like you know in the last three years we've started to get investors comfortable with the idea of convertible debt that's correct and now throwing out to them a new concept of you know a safe or a kiss where it's not convertible debt but it's like convertible debt but it's equity in the future i think like you said for the well-seasoned Angel investors, you know, people that are familiar with investing in startups, fine if you if you want to do it. I think it's going to be hard to, you know, at, at a very early round, a friends and family round, it's going to be hard to explain and educate these people on on what exactly they're getting. Here'd be my advice for using KISS or safe agreements. If you have, if you're dealing with a single investor or a single group of sophisticated investors, Bring it up with them first. And if they're comfortable with it, yes, go to market with it, build them a term sheet with it, or just you know agree to use it. If you're dealing with investors or if, you, if you're not yet in market and you're going to go out to and try and find investors, this is probably not the best way to start. Not here anyway, just because a lot of investors, while we have really smart and there's a lot of capital in this part of the world, man, this part of the country, there's a lot of capital being invested these days but you might scare them off with something they're not comfortable with. So, you know, use them carefully, discuss with your counsel before you do. All right, that wraps up chapter eight, convertible debt. Uh, remember, show notes can be found below if you're pulling this from our website or in the link in the iTunes episode description. Follow us on Twitter at Vela Wood Law uh, and on Instagram at Vela Wood. Questions or comments, please email us, podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com. And most importantly, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This is the Office Hours Podcast. We're reviewing venture deals. Looking forward to Chapter 9. Thanks, Aaron. See you.
The Vailawood podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, and Silicon Valley Review on the iTunes Store. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at